Welcome back, Fact or Fantasy fanatics. You know it's Chase and Josh here at Fact or Fantasy, ready to give you our next installment of what we're covering here in Season 2. And without further ado, let us introduce our topic. We are going to be covering something that you have heard. If you are a long-standing fan of ours or someone who's listened from the very beginning, we covered this very early in our first season, and we are finally coming back around to it now. We are covering Season 2 of The Mandalorian for the next couple weeks, honestly. So we're going to try to do our best to break up the episodes to where they make sense in a, a formatic, like maybe three per. So we're going to try to do today, we're going to do episodes one, two, and three in the second season. Next week, we're going to do episodes four, five, and six in the second season. And then we're going to close it out with seven and eight. Just because seven and eight tend to be a little bit more in-depth, in detail, because those are the ones that close out you know, Mandalorian season two. So that's how we're going to try to uh, structure it this time around. For the people who uh, don't get a visual on what we're doing and are just listening through audio, we have a little, a couple things on our uh, display today. Myself, I've got a nice little, I would say, action figure, I would call it, of the child. <laughs> we will figure out next week what the child's name is. We will not figure it out this week, but as of today, it's still the child here. He's still in box, unopened, all the tape around it and everything. Uh, with that being said, I'll turn it over to Chase, and I'll let him know what he's got for you over there, and then we'll get started right away and get into this, because we got a lot to cover. Yeah, man. No, behind me, of course, I got uh, Mando and the child, you know, father and son. And then on the right, just like you, man, uh, I have a Funko of the child, which uh, I got at a 7-Eleven gas station. <laughs> was the only place they had it, man. So those are our visuals for today. Uh, I'll try to take you guys back on like the promo picture on, on my personal page for like the old school Jedi <laughs> photos with lightsabers. I might bring out a lightsaber, but for today, you know, we're all about the creeds. <laughs> so I'll let you take it away, brother. Yeah, sounds good. So, you know, I'll just go ahead and jump right in. Right before I do that, though, just the quickest recap of season one, you know, the biggest yeah, end all be alls of what we saw in season one right the very beginning we saw Mando show up he, he basically what he does is he does jobs and gets paid for jobs and uh, it's not enough for his like what he's looking for so he gets the secret job um, you know outside the guild and basically it's to go collect a creature and bring it back to these you know these guys that we don't know much about so he does all that and he goes to that planet, figures out what it is they need him to collect with those awesome little monitor things. And anyways, he finds, you know, what we see as you know, people have been calling him Baby Yoda or the child. Uh, he finds him, brings him back, realizes they're going to do some fucked up shit to him, decides, you know what? Nah, that's not going to happen like that. I'm going to take him under my protection. They have that really wild shootout where, you know, they finally get him out of there. And then, you know, that droid that was a pain in the ass in the beginning actually turned around to help them at, towards the end. Fortunately, a sacrifice itself. We had an awesome little standoff between, you know, Cara Dune and Mando, which, you know, obviously we know his name is Din Djarin, but for the purpose of this show, we're just going to call him Mando to make it easy and make it short so you guys know exactly what we're talking about. But with that, Cara Dune and Mando versus Moff Gideon, and, you know, we, as far as Mando and Cara Dune are, and Grief Karga are uh, concerned, Moff Gideon's dead, but we saw at the very end him cut his way out of that flyer with the dark saber, which is going to play a big role into it. So basically, where we end off is the child's safe in Mando's custody, but 
Moff Gideon, the big bad guy, is still around, still got his Darksaber, and, you know, he's up to some mischief, right? And so that's going to kind of bring us into where we are. I know that was a really high-level, quick summary of what happened in Season 1, but if you watched it, you watched it. If you didn't, go watch it. Now we're going to be tackling Season 2. And how this is going to go is I'm going to take Episode 1 here. I'm going to turn it over to Chase for Episode 2. I'm going to close out with Episode 3. Then we're we're going to give our thoughts. We're not going to go too much in detail, right? We're not going to have debates over every single episode, we're going to have debates at the end of all three of the episodes of maybe one or two things that we, we saw collectively in the things that we're covering on this show here today. And same thing going forward with episodes four, five, and six next week and closing out with seven and eight the following week. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and jump into my quick recap summary of what we saw in Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. Basically, the first things that we saw was they were walking through this kind of rundown street, and we saw these evil red eyes in the background. And he ends up approaching this building, and he tells like the bouncer that he's there to see Gore Koresh. So Mando enters this Fight Club arena, and we see like two Gamorians fighting in a wrestling ring. And this is kind of like a little Easter egg right off the bat, because if you're a big Star Wars fan, you'll recognize the Gamorians from The Return of the Jedi way back in the day. But anyways, back into it, Mando kind of asks Gore Koresh where he can find other Mandalorians. That's his whole purpose of being there. And Gore Koresh tries to make a deal with him that, hey, if his Gamorrean kills the other one in a minute and a half, he'll give Mando the info he's looking for. If the other one survives, Mando has to give up his Beskar armor. Basically, Mando's like, well, I don't leave my life up the chance. The guy said, neither do I. No deal. And all of a sudden, it's a trap. They have Mando surrounded. It's a bunch of guns pointed at him from all like ways, shapes, and forms. Um... But we learned there that the Beskar value is continuing to rise. The, the price of his armor, the, the material his armor is made out of, Beskar is continuing to rise, and that's what really Gord Koresh wants out of this. And so, anyways, the big fight breaks out, and Mando whoops everyone's ass, at least three different species included in that, and fights his way out of there. <laughs> and he ends up catching Gord Koresh and forces the info out of him and tells him, and Gord Koresh ends up telling him there's another Mandalorian is on the planet Tatooine, which if you guys remember that, that's a blast from the past. Tatooine, you heard that back in Phantom Menace, you know, and technically that is episode one, even though they kind of did it flipped, but still, uh, you know, a little blast of the past for the OG fans, uh, but in the city of Mos Pelgo. And anyway, so at that point in time, Mando leaves Gore Koresh kind of strung up, left for dead, shoots out the streetlights, so whatever those creatures are with the red eyes, they jump on him and devour him, and Gore Koresh is out of there, right? He's done. So then we kind of get to this planet, right? We see that ox with twisty horns. And if you're a diehard Star Wars fan, you'll recognize them from A New Hope. Those creatures are called Banthas. So they're the big oxen-looking things with the huge twisty horns. We kind of see them as they approach. And he lands on, on Tatooine. And Mando allows... Like, this is kind of interesting because remember in Season 1, Mando does not like droids. He has like, this really heavy aversion to droids. But, you know, he lands there and he ends up talking to Pelimato and she he lets her droids work on his ship. So I think there's some little bit of character progression there that I wanted to point out. But anyways, uh, he's talking to uh, Pelimato. We find out that Moss Pelgo was wiped out by bandits after the Empire fell. And uh, her droid assistant, R5, which is a kind of like a little wink over to R2 way back in the day, uh, he pulls up an old map of where it was. And so they're going through the list of cities, and there's one little Easter egg in there. I wanted to bring attention to the people who may not have noticed this. It's very, very easy to miss. But through the three cities she mentioned, one of them was actually Moss Espa, 
And that's a little wink back back to Phantom Menace because that's actually where we first met Anakin Skywalker as a child and where he had that one big pod race. It took place at Moss Espa Grand Arena. So that's something that, you know, it's very, very easy to miss if you're not paying attention or maybe if you didn't watch the older movies. That's why I think Mandalorian touches so many people in a great way is because it brings a little combination of old school and new school together. So anyways, to go on from that, uh, Mando borrows Pelimato's speeder bike to go find Moss Pelgo. He arrives in the town and asks the bartender where he can find the Mandalorian. And basically what we, did, we find out is that the man they call the, the Marshal has... Boba Fett's old armor. If you see it, it's not that I'm not giving anything away, right? You, if anyone's watched the old Star Wars series, you know what that color is, the indentation there at the top of the helmet. You know what Boba Fett's armor looks like. So that was an amazing thing for us to see for the first time since way back in the day, Boba Fett's armor there. It's all in like ruined shape and whatever, but still. Uh, we find that uh, this guy called the Marshal is the one that has Boba Fett's old armor. And we also find off he find out he's not a Mandalorian because he does one cardinal sin, according to you know our guy Mando Dinjarin. He removes his helmet, and Mandalorians don't remove their helmets, at least you know as far as we know here. <laughs> so, anyways, the guy's name is Cobb Vanth, and I thought this was pretty cool because he's played by Timothy Oliphant, which is the main character in one of my old favorite shows back in the day called Justified. So if you guys ever watched Justified on FX. Uh, it was kind of cool, like throwback to that, and then and, and Justified is very similar. Like an old, like it's a, it's a western, but like with modern themes. And I think Mandalorian is very similar to that, like kind of like a western, but with modern themes as well too. So <laughs> I thought that was really cool. But anyways, we find out that Cobb Vanth bought the armor off some Jawas, and so we kind of have this old western like showdown back in the old saloon days. Or you know, Mando and and the Marshal are staring at each other face to face. They're about to draw their guns, but you know, all of a sudden the earth shakes and kind of interrupts them, and the whole city starts freaking out. And we see this crate dragon burst up through the sand and eats one of the Banthas. And so what ends up happening from there is Cobb Vanth makes a deal that if Mando helps him kill the crate dragon, he'll give Mando back the armor. And Mando agrees. So Mando and Cobb Vanth take speeder bikes to where the crate dragon lives, and on the way, Cobb gives us the backstory, and we find out that the city, you know, Mos Pelga, was on its last legs. You know, we see the way they were all celebrating... Uh, when the Empire fell, but then the mining collective moved in, and then Moss Pelgo became like a slave camp overnight. And so uh, we learned that Cobb Vanth escaped, grabbed uh, a, a Camtano from the mining collective, and it was full of Silicax crystals, and that is how he bought the armor off of the Jawas. So I thought that was a pretty important backstory there of how the armor came into Cobb Vanth's you know, possession. So he went back to Mos Pelgo in the armor, and he basically took out the invaders and reclaimed the city. This is still in that little flashback that Cobb Vanth is having and, and describing to Mando. So um, we, we see them kind of arrive at close to where this lair is, and we see them get surrounded by these half-reptile, half-dog-looking things, and they're actually called Massifs. And Mando basically saves his and Cobb's <laughs> Vanth's ass by speaking Tuscan, because those are the Tuscan steeds and like, like their pets. And I thought that was pretty cool how they looked. But we find out that the Tuscans want to kill the Crate Dragon too. So it's kind of a win-win for everyone. So we sit around this campfire and, you know, they're trying to come up with a plan. But tempers start flaring. And Cobb Banth starts arguing with one of the Tuscans. And Mando has to step in. And I thought it was pretty cool. We see him use this little flamethrower thing to kind of keep everyone back. So I thought that was just a little cool thing to, to add in there. But what we find out is that they devise a plan. And the next thing we see is all of them riding Banthas to the Crate Dragon's lair which is an abandoned Sarlacc pit. And Cobb makes the statement that there's no such thing as an empty Sarlacc pit. And Mando replies to him, there is if you eat the Sarlacc, 
which honestly guys is kind of crazy to think about because if you remember back in the return of jedi the sarlacc ate boba fett which is like kind of everything's going to come full circle and also flashbacks at the same time and you get the sense of the enormity of the sarlacc size and the fact that the crate dragon was able to eat one of those is pretty impressive so you know you're up against something <laughs> pretty wild here so what they tried to do is they tried to use a bantha as bait but the crate dragon came out and actually ate the tuscan that was holding the bantha instead and so now they got to come up with another plan and now this next plan they want to bring in reinforcements from moss pelgo the villagers of moss pelgo and we know that they don't really want to work together with the sand people because they have been fighting each other like, you know the sand people killing the villagers villagers killing the sand people for off and on for all these years so they don't want to work together with these guys so it, it draws outrage from the villagers because of the constant raiding and the constant like you know dissent between the two factions if you will so mando ends up telling the terms of the deals like the tuscan the tuscans uh, agreed to never raise a blaster against moss pelago again until one of the villagers breaks the peace and so for me, that kind of sounds like a win-win for everyone. So they end up going, you know, now they've got the villagers as reinforcements back in there. Now we kind of got a whole squad running up on the Crate Dragon's lair. You know, they head back to the Crate Dragon's lair, all of them together, villagers and Tuscans, but they're still kind of wary of one another. You know, like one guy dropped something, like the Tuscans dropped something, and the, uh, the villagers like screamed at him, and they start kind of getting each other's faces, and they kind of got to break it up. So it kind of just gives you the idea that you know not everything is well between these two groups of people but they're going to try to work together for the greater good and you know a shout out to Gellert Grindelwald and uh, go ahead <laughs> I knew that was coming <laughs> and just go ahead and get this crate dragon out of there so when they arrive we find the crate dragon is sleeping so they get to work and set up shop we find out that the belly is the only weak spot on it so they have to hit it from below so they start lining explosives under the sand at the opening of the cave and the next part of the plan is to wake it up and get it angry enough to charge. And the idea is that once it gets far enough out of the cave and the belly is above the explosives, they're going to hit the detonator. And we'll, we'll kind of see if that works, right? So we see three Tuscans approach the entrance and start screaming in their language at the dragon. And it wakes up and it does a little bit, it charges at them a little bit. So they hit it with these, I would call, I call them these harpoon spears. They shoot these big harpoon spears and like it hits the crate dragon and it's trying to pull it forward. But this thing's a lot more massive than we give it credit for. This is another little Easter egg for you guys. I don't know if you saw this, if you thought about it. Anyone who's a, an OG Star Wars fan, there was a skeleton of a crate dragon back in the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope. And that was big as it was. And this thing is way more massive than that skeleton of the crate dragon that we saw back in A New Hope. So I just thought it was kind of cool that, again, bringing back things from older movies. But anyways... You know, I just I thought that was something that was worth mentioning. So now, basically, they hit them with the tar harpoon spear things, and it starts retreating back into the cave. So then, what the Tuscans start doing is start shooting it with their blasters, and the villagers just start throwing shit at it too, and it kind of pisses the crate dragon off, and it charges again. And this is kind of cool because it kind of comes out and it it projectile vomits on the retreating Tuscans and villagers. And I actually looked this up. What that is, it's it's acidic venom. So what it throws up yeah. and spits up is acidic venom. So it's burning these people alive. Like they're melting on the spot. They're dying. Like that. That was a pretty cool uh, weapon that the crate dragon possesses uh, naturally, a biological weapon. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was pretty cool. But they get it out far enough and they detonate the explosives under its belly. But it doesn't kill it, and now it's really pissed. And then it starts going up to the top of the cave and just spitting down this acidic venom at people from the very top of the cave. 
Uh, so Mando and Cobb Vance, they take flight in their armor. So Mando's in his regular armor, and Cobb Vance is wearing, again, Boba Fett's armor. And they, they kind of take the fight to the Great Dragon at the top. But their weapons are doing nothing. Like, remember, like, the Mando's weapons are pretty impressive. It's shooting at them. They're doing their best they can. It's just nothing's happening. So Mando tells Cobb Vance to get his attention, and Cobb, what he ends up doing after he gets back, they all get back down to the ground. He launches the rocket from his jetpack, and it hits the crate Dragon square in the eye. So now the crate Dragon is coming directly at them. And so what Mando does, he tells Cobb to take care of the child, and he, like, smashes Cobb's jetpack, making Cobb fly erratically. So now it's just the crate Dragon coming at Mando, and he's holding this Bantha that is laced with a bunch of explosives. So the crate Dragon ends up coming forward and just devouring, full-on eats, you know, mouth over <laughs> both of them, Mando and the Bantha. And so it kind of looks like all hope is lost. But then all of a sudden, you know, about after two minutes of everyone kind of being scared and wary, like, oh, goodness, we just lost, you know, the best fire that we had. Like, are we all fucked? You know, about two minutes after that, after it looks like all hope is lost, the Kray Dragon bursts through the sand, and Mando is using, like, the electric shock thing from his blaster as it flies out of its mouth. So as, as his mouth is open, and we see these, like, electrocuting things coming from his his spear blaster, and he flies out of the mouth. He's still kind of covered in its slime and stuff. And then he hits the detonator... And the bantha that it ate, in, it's inside its stomach with all the explosives. It blows up inside the crate dragon's stomach and kills it. So at that, then, you know, that's basically where the crate dragon's dead. Now, you know, we see little pieces of meat everywhere, the skeleton of it. And we see the Tuscans kind of harvesting the meat. That was and we see nasty. Them kinda, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, right? It was kind of nasty. And they're all kind of digging around in it. And, um, you know, as they're doing that on the side, Cobb Banth talks to Manny, he's like, hey man, like this, this armor, it's well-earned. Gives him the armor as promised. So no, now Mando has his own armor, the best car that he has, and the armor that Cobb Vanth gave him, which we know is Boba Fett's armor. You know, if you're an OG Star Wars fan. If you didn't, that's the little Easter egg for you there. Uh, then it kind of cuts back to the Tuscans. They find this, like, I don't know if it was a pearl or an egg or what it was inside the carcass of the Krayt Dragon, but they, they yeah. find it and they hold it up and they all start cheering. And so then... <laughs> you know that that kind of closes it out, and you know as Mando's kind of going back to Pelimoto on the speeder because remember that's her speeder, and he's kind of returning back to where she's at. We get this kind of pan out of the camera, and we see Mando riding the speeder bike off in the distance, but then it kind of like cuts into the, the the back shape of another man, and he's looking out at Mando, and he turns around, and you can see in his face who it is. It's the original Boba Fett. And it is the original actor who played Boba Fett in the old movies. And so now, we got motherfucking Boba Fett coming into play on The Mandalorian. Like, number one, how the hell did he get out of the Sarlacc pit? And, like, all of a sudden, he's coming out. <laughs> he, you remember, if you guys remember back in, uh, you know, episode five there. I'm sorry, Return of the Jedi, episode six. Yeah, like, Return of the Jedi. He falls into the Sarlacc pit, and he's presumed dead. Like, he was eaten by the Sarlacc. That thing was a giant creature that devoured him. How the hell is he still alive? And... You know, that's going to be a question going forward, too. But that is kind of how episode one really ends. It cuts out with us seeing Boba Fett for the first time since Return of the Jedi. And with that, you know, that really does, like I said, close out episode one. Is there anything that you wanted to add to it, Chase, before you go ahead and jump into episode two? Uh, just a quick question. In Return of the Jedi, that worm thing in the ground wasn't a Leviathan or dragon thing, was it? 
That wasn't what that was. No, the, 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 or the, was it? You talking about the thing that ate uh, Boba Fett? Yeah, yeah. that ate Boba. Fett. Yeah, no, it was that like was like a worm thing, right? Yeah, it was the Sarlacc. It was uh, so it was a Sarlacc pit, and it, it had like all those tentacles that kind of dragged them down. Yeah. yeah, okay. So that was a Sarlacc, and that's that's why it's so impressive that you know the Kray Dragon was taking up shop in a Sarlacc's cave because it's presumed that the crate dragon ate the sarlacc which is already a huge monster in and of itself and so it kind of gives you that notion that there's always a bigger fish in the sea right so um yeah man that's that kind of ends out episode one do you want to take us away with uh, episode two yeah man i'll take us away also uh don't forget the guy that played the marshal <laughs> dude was also hitman <laughs> which was pretty badass he was hitman then the girl next door and my dad loves justified so yeah, shout out to my dad. You, you and him would be able to watch that for hours. <laughs> it was, it's awesome, man. It's badass. Malice in the Chalice, by the way, man, for over Oberyn motherfucking Martell siding with the Sand People. <laughs> Fuck yeah, baby. Let's do it, man. Cheers, brother. Let's do it. Cheers, brother. Cheers. Okay, I'll take us away here. So, episode two. So it starts off. Mando and the Child are traveling on a land speeder, right? And then uh, the group, this, like, group sets a trap. These, like, alien guys. <laughs> I don't know exactly what to call them. Um, but they, like, set a trap and they knock Mando and the child off the land speeder, trying to kidnap the child. Mando winds up, like, there's this big battle scene. He defeats them. But this one little alien guy winds up, like, holding like the child hostage so what he does was he he like traded him the jetpack for the child so like his most powerful weapon he like traded with this thing but i thought this was a cool moment i will say because it shows how like mando is reasonable like he could have just taken the shot and shot that little alien thing like i don't think it was that much of a threat to fucking mando over and fucking martell but he trades his most valuable, like, part of his armor as a weapon for it. So I thought it was great. And shows how much he cares about the child. So then after this, Mando visits um, Peli... <laughs> I think I had a type of... I put Pelimofo. It's like Pelimoto, right? Yeah, Pelimoto. Something like that? Yeah. Pelimoto, Pelimoto, yeah. Peli motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, Pelimoto. Um, and then, so, when he goes to visit her, she has a task for him to escort, I call them aliens, they look like reptile things, but, um, these aliens to, uh, a task for their eggs to be fertilized, um, that they have a task to fertilize their eggs, so... And she thinks she might know where the other Mandalorian are, which is what Mando's been searching for this whole time. So they start going to this planet with this reptile alien thing to fertilize its eggs, which are in this like big container jar. It looked literally like fish in a bowl um, or tadpoles in a bowl, right? Um, and as they're going to the planet, these X-Wings are on a mission there and they ask Mando to identify himself and chase him uh, to the planet. But when they get to Trask, which is what the planet is called, so it's this ice planet and then they wind up crash landing there because the X-Wings were trying to tell him to pull over. But Mando discovers when they arrive 
of course i thought this was funny that the child was trying to eat the eggs <laughs> like a typical little kid i just would i just want to add one quick thing here this planet is not trask they he ended up making a pit stop at this planet to get away from the speeders they are going to trask but that going to yeah trask. that planet yeah. the planet that you stop him with all the things that you're about to go into it is not trask it's just to try to shake these x-wings off of him so that's gotcha. It. Yeah. So whatever this ice planet is, the mission is to go to Trask eventually, uh, which that leads into when Josh will take us to there <laughs> later on. But yeah, so they basically crash land on this planet because these X-Wings were following them. And um, of course, Mando wakes up after watching the child eat the eggs and the alien notices that a droid on a ship is deconstructed. I thought this was really cool because it looked really similar to kind of like we're making references to the old Star Wars. <laughs> you know, one of my favorites actually, C-3PO. Looked very similar, but it had like a woman's voice, so I guess it wasn't. But uh, so the child wanders off and notices these footsteps um, and Mando winds up, uh, so the child wanders off and then Mando notices like footsteps and follows along. He also sees where, like, the alien and everything has wandered off, and he discovers that the alien is taking a bath with his eggs, which I thought was really strange, but okay. Well, it's, <laughs> I, a, it's a woman. She's a frog lady, so it's her eggs, not his eggs, but yes. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, her, her eggs. I thought it was weird, but <laughs> okay, whatever. I'll buy it. Uh, so the child notices, like, the eggs around, like, hold spiders, um besides not the eggs in the like thing that's the reptiles but around the area there's these like eggs i call them like eggs that hatch right like spider eggs what would you call those things yeah that, no that's what i have them as as well okay yeah so they start hatching and unleashing these spiders and um as they're beginning to hatch so like all of a sudden this massive ass <laughs> like alien spider comes out of nowhere. This thing is the fucking Aragog of the ice planet, man. Or the, or the what you uh, the Shelob of the fucking ice planet, dude. Like what the fuck? So Mando and the child and the alien attempt to escape as like the spiders are tearing down the cave behind him because there's so many of them. This is just like in Harry Potter when they're in that fucking forest. <laughs> is exactly what's going on here. So. Mando throws like a few claymores, I call them, or grenades to stop him. Does his thing, trying to hold him off, and uh, and then as the like he's trying to escape, but the group gets ambushed finally by like all these spiders, and they begin to attach themselves to the child as like he's shooting them off. Like they're get there's so many of these things. Like, it's just no way you can overpower all of them. There's just too many. Even at one point, Mando takes the fucking flamethrower and just starts burning it down. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Pulling a Daenerys fucking Targaryen and burning the shit to the ground, right? So finally, it gets to the point it's so bad, they have to retreat up into the cockpit pit of the ship that's crash landed and he's just like shooting the flamethrower to hold him off in the rooms and they're just stuck in the cockpit so they're trying to get the ship off the ground and they're just still being overtaken but luckily because the same problem that got them there the x-wing fighters the rebels 
show up and start shooting the spiders off to kind of like save the day at this point. Uh, they kill the spiders, but tell Mando that he has an arrest warrant as prisoner X6911. But um, because he apprehended three wanted criminals before and a protected uh, lieutenant, they won't arrest him. Uh, and then what happens is the rebels leave. Mando gets his ship uh, repaired. He repairs it temporarily, which will kind of take us in like some of the next episodes, right? And then the group leaves. And that's what I had for episode two. Did you have anything in there you want to throw in there? Yeah, I just had a couple things I wanted to star in there just because I thought that either they were even my favorite parts or they were important to notate. But like yeah. in the very beginning with that big fight, and that, like, when they got jumped by all those aliens, they tried to take his, the, the speeder and he had the child hostage. I thought it was really cool that when he gave up his jetpack in exchange for the child, the creature runs off the jetpack, but like doesn't realize that the jetpack's actually controlled by like some monitor on his wrist. So we're getting to see that like, was great. Yeah, we're getting to see some like of the use of all this armor and what it can really do. So I thought that was pretty important. Um, and also like the whole reason that this thing started with the frog lady and taking her to the planet Trask is. You know, uh, Pelimata was playing some sort of poker game with this ant-looking thing called Dr. Mandible. And we learned that he might have information, but it's only going to tell him if he pays the cover of the next round of poker. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then, you know, we, that's where we kind of get this contact from that ant, Dr. Mandible, is the frog lady. Right? So basically what she wanted was transportation to the system, but she can't have Mando use hyperspace because she has lost, like, she has the last of her eggs. This is what I thought was really important. The reason why this whole thing was super important to her is because this is the, her last life cycle. So these eggs are the very last eggs that she can ever produce. And so to keep her line going, she needs to hatch the eggs. But the hyperspace would end up killing the eggs. So that's why they had to travel slowly and why they got caught by the X-Wings in the first place is because mm -hmm. you know he was having to uh, travel like at, at regular speed. So anyway, that, that was a, there was a couple things there. Then... Um, I, I had that he kind of put the the ship in autopilot. That's when he kind of got woken up by the X wings and all that good stuff. Yeah. But that's when they had that cool little thing, and they they had the whole flying sequence. We saw him go in and out of the of the icy tunnels and the caves, and he finally like got away from them. But then the the floor of the icy ground broke through, and that's when they dropped down. And it smashed a bunch of the. Uh, the, the, the hull of the ship and that's kind of like the big deal of it is now the ship's kind of fucked and on top of that you know we had that, that lady run into the cave and then when he ran into the cave what really started the whole thing with the I, I call them ice spiders is like yeah. is, is uh, the child eat, opening one of the eggs and eating one of the uh, ice spiders mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because he was trying to eat the eggs the whole time too but um, <laughs> yeah I thought that was kind of cool when they started coming out because he killed the first big bad one that you mentioned but then there was a second, even bigger, even badder one that ended up like getting on top of the ship. Like, you saw its mouth and like scrape across like the hood of it, and it was really kind of cool to see. So mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting that we thought we had the big bad one right in the cave, and then an even bigger one. It always goes to show there's always a bigger fish in the ocean, man. Um, <laughs> Shout out to episode one. Yeah, <laughs> Star Wars. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this is the this is the whole thing too. And I, I had this detail because I thought it was kind of important to notate talking about when. They get rescued by the people like from the New Republic. Like we, you know, I don't know if you call them like the, the X Wings or whatever they are, but it, you know it's Captain Carson, right? Uh, so 
they basically they tell him that he has that arrest warrant that you were saying but the flip side is he apprehended three priority culprits from the wanted register and also put his life in harm's way to protect lieutenant davian from the new republic correctional corp and i think that may come to play later and we might find more out about that later so they decide not to arrest him but they don't actually actively help him either because he needs to fuse his hull and they basically tell him no you're kind of fucked but you gotta fix your transponder because next time we're gonna vaporize your ass and they basically dip out and let him leave for him, like let them fend for themselves. And that's where all he could do was patch up the cockpit, since it's the only thing that can be pressurized, since the main hull is destroyed. And so they basically fly the ship out of there with three fourths of it broken. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last thing I had, just a, the one quotation I thought was really, really, like badass and ominous, is he said, "Wake me up if someone shoots at us, or if that door gets sucked off its rails." I'm kidding. If that happened, we'd all be dead. Sweet dreams. <laughs> so that is how, those are just the things I would wanted to add to uh, uh, episode two there. Let me go ahead and, that was awesome. and go jump into our episode three before we get into the fun stuff. So I'll give you kind go of a, it. yeah, it's a recap of Mandalorian season two, episode three. This episode, it opens with all of them still sleeping. And then an alert starts going off and we see that the planet Trask, where they were originally trying to get to with the frog lady is there in front of them. So they made it there and they're preparing for landing, but the landing array isn't responding. So Mando has to land it manually. And this is gonna be a problem because since like the landing thing isn't working, you're basically doing a free fall drop. And with that going into a new atmosphere, it's gonna cause a lot of friction and engulf them in flames, right? So he thinks there should be enough fuel to slow them down if they don't burn to a crisp from the speed of the free fall entering that atmosphere. So what he does, he makes the frog lady hold the lever back as he attempts to land the ship. And Trask Flight Control comes over the radio and is like, hey, reduce your speed, man. <laughs> but uh, they have no idea, because they don't have any idea like what's happening or why he can't reduce his speed. So he ends up trying to engage the reverse thrusters with the thought that if they're falling at a high speed, putting it in reverse would almost be the equivalent of braking, since it's going in the opposite direction of the gravitational pull. So that was a thought process behind it. And he just about lands it perfectly, but it tanks at the last moment and falls into the harbor water around it. But <laughs> then we kind of see this cool thing. Like, it almost looked like one of the things from the Clone Wars that had been recommissioned to just be a crane. And it pulled the whole... It's called the Razor Crest. His ship is called the Razor Crest, right? So it pulls the whole Razor Crest out of the water in the harbor. Gets them out of there. But uh, we see the frog lady and the frog man reunite on the docks. And somehow after all the shit the eggs went through between the last episode and this one... The eggs are still alive. I don't get it, but apparently we're going to go with it. Cool. Um, but then, <laughs> then Mando asks the frogman about holding up their end of the deal and telling him where he can find the other Mandalorians. That was the whole reason Mando even did this, right? It was because they had information that could lead him to the other Mandalorians. And so he's like, okay, I did my thing. I got you, your wife, and your eggs here safely. Tell me where these Mandalorians are at. So the frogman takes Mando to this like pubberless inn. And Mando pays the guy serving them for a bowl of chowder. I thought this was kind of cool. Like, shot from a tube from the ceiling. And, you know, and basically what he wanted to do is with the info, he wanted to find out info where the other Mandalorians are. Because he did say that others with Beskar had passed through the inn that this guy's serving them. So he ends up saying, like, no information for people that don't pay. Buys our little child some chowder and then wants to, uh, you know, said no empty seats here. He's like, don't worry, I'm not going to eat, but I'm going to pay you for info. So the server goes to over another table and tells the guy, and this is kind of cool because this is another blast from the past too, one of these creatures, they're called the Corin. He goes over to the Corin, and he comes over and says he can take Mando to 
the other Mandalorians for a fee, and it's only a few hours' sail. So then we kind of find out that they, he takes him out on this boat, and it ends up being a huge trap. The guy knocks the child into the Mamacor's feeding grate, and the Mamacor's mouth comes out of the water and closes its mouth around the child. And so Mano jumps in after the child, and the Corrin closes the grate, and they're trying to kill him, and what they want is this Beskar armor. So this has been a, like a, a heavy theme for the past couple episodes, that people want this Beskar armor. This Beskar must be worth something, like a fortune, in certain people's minds and eyes, and so they're willing to do some pretty shitty things to get their hands on some Beskar. But to uh, continue from on from there, I thought it was kind of cool that um, when they start doing this whole thing, the three other Mandalorians arrive and kind of fuck up the corn and save Mando. And so Mando tells the other Mandalorians that a creature has the child, and one of them jumps into action and goes after the Mamacor. So the Mandalorian comes back out of the water with the child, one of the other three, right? And, and like the little pod that it stays in is like dented and smashed up, but they rip it out, and the child is okay. He's unharmed. And so this is the part where it gets a little dicey. The other Mandalorians, the three that came to his aid, they take off their helmets. It's two women and one man. And boom, this is a big moment for a couple reasons. Number one, this was a huge revelation for those that watched the animated series Clone Wars because you knew exactly who this was and why she was important. So Bo-Katan of Clan Kriz has now made her appearance. And if you guys had watched Clone Wars, she plays a massive role in that animated series. And so seeing her in live action here on Mandalorian, it's like a big wow factor for people who are deep fans of the franchise of Star Wars. Uh, number two, you know, obviously that's going to foreshadow heavy going forward, but number two, the three Mandalorians remove their helmets. And that's supposed to be a huge no-no to the Creed. And we learn that there are two different factions of Mandalorians. There's the Children of the Watch, who want to reestablish the ancient way, and there's the mainstream Mandalore society. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I think that's going to come into play later too. But going on from there, he basically doesn't accept that they are Mandalorians. He's like, Mandalorians don't remove their helmets. And he just flies off with the child. He starts making his way back to the town, and then all of a sudden, more Korans kind of bar his way, and they kind of jump him. They have, you know, they're looking for vengeance, because apparently the one Koran that was killed was the other guy who's now approaching him's brother, right? And so that, you know, he attempted to murder Mando and steal the best guard. He killed that guy, so now the brother is like, oh no, I'm going to kill you. But it's kind of silly, because like, the only reason that your brother died is because he tried to be a piece of shit in the first place, and so now you want to avenge that. It's not, <laughs> right. you know, it's not Mando's fault. But anyways, they box Mando in, and he's outnumbered by a lot, and they want to kill the child as payback for killing the, the head Quarren's brother, I called him there. Um and then all of a sudden, the three Mandalorians come back in and, and even the numbers, and they make short work of the Quarren. So they all go back into the inn, and we learn that Trask is a black market port, and they're staging weapons that have been bought and sold with the plunders of their planet, and the other Mandalorians are seizing those weapons and using them to retake their homeworld of Mandalore. So the end goal is to kind of seat a new Mandalore on the throne. That is what these three Mandalorians do, Bo-Katan and her two accomplices. So... Mando kind of tells him that the planet of Mandalore is cursed and whoever goes there dies. But Bokinet tells Mando that those are false rumors and they're used to try and spread, uh, you know, to keep the Mandalorians separate since people know Mandalorians are stronger together. This is where Mando kind of tells him of his quest to return the child to the Jedi and how he was hoping that they'd help him by the Creed, right? Like, hey, we're all Mandalorians, like, by Creed, like, if I have something that you can help me with, you should do that. Like, we're all together in this, right? 
And so Bo-Katan tells Mando that she can lead him to one of the Jedi, huge foreshadow, but first he has to help them on their mission. And so there's an Imperial freighter that's being loaded with weapons and scheduled to depart. And the Mandalorians, they want to hit it and seize the weapons. So Mando drops off the child with the frog family, bringing the frog family back in this whole thing. And then all of them catch the freighter mid-flight and they start to take out the crew on board. Talking about the three Mandalorians and our boy Mando, Din Djarin, but I'm calling him Mando for the sake of everybody here, just to make it easier. Um, the, ca the captain tells him to seal the hatch and then also tells the pilots to climb out, out of the harbor zone so they can make the jump into hyperspace. Because they're thinking they can make the jump into hyperspace, they'll knock these Mandalorians out of the ship and they'll be like free to go. Well, these Mandalorians are actually savages, and they're just mowing these stormtroopers down left and right. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. <laughs> and when they're and then they're officially on board and have taken out enough of them, the captain kind of tells the crew in the cargo room to hold them off until they can make the jump into hyperspace to rendezvous with the big fleet, the Imperial fleet. But they are unable to hold off the Mandalorians, so they try to trap them in the cargo control area, which kind of backfires on them since the Mandalorians just open the cargo door and the remaining crew get sucked out of it. So that was kind of right. you know a, a catch twenty two there. But Bo-Katan and the captain exchange words on the radio, and the captain was saying basically if you steal anything, they will hunt you down and kill you. And Bo-Katan tells him, Nah, bro, we're gonna take the entire motherfucking ship. Which was news to Mando, and he didn't much appreciate it because they didn't tell him that part. He thought they were just getting weapons and getting out of there. And they're like, oh, no, by the way, we're going to take this whole motherfucking thing. And, <laughs> and so that was kind of, this is going to cause some kind of tension, right? Because Bo-Katan changed the terms of the deal and forced Mando to go along with her plan because she threatened to not help him find the Jedi. And then she adds insult to injury by telling him, this is the way. This is not the way. You do not go ahead and like backstab your own people. Like if you're all Mandalorians together, this, <laughs> this is not the way. But she says this is the way. Oh man, <laughs> I thought that was wild. Anyways, the captain gets Moff Gideon on the hologram and asks for immediate backup. And Moff Gideon tells him that backup is no longer an option because the Mandalorians had taken too much of the ship. And he ends the transmission by saying, "You know what to do. Long live the Empire." Which is a big foreshadow there. And I thought the other interesting part of this is, like, if you guys remember, Mando didn't see this. So, he didn't see this transmission. So, Mando, in his mind, he still doesn't know Moff Gideon's alive. And that's going to play yeah. a role going forward here. So, when, when that transmission ends, the captain kills the two pilots that are flying the ship. And he starts to nosedive with their ship, assumingly to sacrifice himself and blow up the ship to kill the Mandalorians along with himself. So, they kind of race to get to the cockpit. And Mando takes... Like fifty blasters to the face. Remember, like he was walking through yeah. it. Like, and he's just taking blasters to the face and the armor, and just getting hit by all these stormtroopers. But apparently, the best scar is doing his job. The lasers are like hitting him with force, but they're not breaking through his armor, so he's still moving. Um, and he ends up lunging forward with some explosives to blow up the room with the remaining stormtroopers guarding the cockpit. And that's where they all enter the cockpit. And Bo-Katan grabs the captain, asks him where the dark saber is. And if it's with him, like talking about someone else, like the quotation is with him, not with the captain, but like, is it with him? Kind of alluding yeah. to our boy Moff Gideon, right? And he tells her if she's asking, then she already knows. And so this Darksaber is going to come up in a big way in the future, not just for the defeat of Moff Gideon and whatever other bad guys, but the future of Mandalore as a whole, too. And we'll get into that later on. But uh, Mando and the other female Mandalorian pull up the ship just in time from crashing into the water. The captain ends up killing himself without telling Bo-Katan where Moff Gideon is. 
And at this point, Mando, our boy Din Djarin, he's done with this operation. So he asks Bo-Katan to hold up her end and tell him where he can find the Jedi. And she tells him to take the child to the city of Caladon on the forest planet of Corvus. And there he will find Ahsoka Tano. And that's a huge foreshadow Hell yeah. going forward into next week's episode where we'll kind of tackle that. Um, but yeah, and, tell, and it basically says for him to tell her that he was sent by Bo-Katan. And that's where Mando kind of skydives off the ship, goes to pick up the child. We see that one of the frog's family's eggs have hatched. So yay, they have another generation of frog family people. Great for them. Um, Mando goes back to his ship. It's still in pretty rough shape uh, for giving the guy a thousand credits to fix it. But it flies like the guy promised I can make it fly. You know, I can do that. And so (laughs) I can make it fly. It might crash again, but it'll we can fly. We can get it in the air. That's all I'm promising is what the guy said, right? <laughs> so he ends up leaving the planet of Trask, gets his ship into space, and he finally knows, finally knows where he's taking the child. Because they've been bouncing around. You got to take him here. You got to take him here. You got to take him here. Now we kind of have an idea. There's a Jedi on this new planet, on Cor- the planet of Corvus in the forest city of Caladon. And now we'll, we'll get into that more next week. But that really kind of closes out episode three did you want to add anything to episode three that you noticed or things that you wanted to bring up no man you hit the nail on the head the only thing i put was after that the child and mando when they're leaving he like catches an alien and mando lets him eat the alien but that was it (laughs) (laughs) i just thought it was cool but uh no man you hit the nail on the head uh, so, yeah, let's get into the fun stuff, brother. Absolutely, brother. So, you know, guys, this is the kind of part where we are going to... It, it's tough to kind of talk about where it's going to go from here, but we'll just more so give thoughts on the episode just because we're going to be going into where it goes from here next week and the week after, and more so when we get to the final episode of Mandalorian Season 2, talking about Episode 8. We'll be able to kind of talk more about where it's going to go from there into Season 3, where we don't know. But for this right here, just kind of giving thoughts on the whole... And the, the three episodes that we just kind of give a brief summary about what did you think about them and and how did it compared to season one i'm asking you if i I, I think it uh you know what's funny is no matter how sci-fi we get on the show somehow there's always some fucking dragon that lands in the episodes and uh so i thought it was badass i thought it was a badass opening the way they did it People gave episode two a lot of shit because it was kind of like one of those filler episodes where they just happened to crash land on a planet that really doesn't have a lot to do with the story. Um, But I I thought it was cool. Like, I thought the way they did the sci-fi and the CGI was cool. They didn't waste a lot of time. Like, that's what I really like with this show. Like, so many... Uh, you know, and I love Game of Thrones. Like, you know, I'm a Game of Thrones guy. And we can say this because Ober and motherfucking Martell, <laughs> biggest fucking beast in the world. But sometimes with like Game of Thrones, you know, they're traveling to Dorne or they take like, even, especially in the seasons that were good, <laughs> like one through one through four, like, you know, they'll take like five episodes, like traveling to a place like they really don't do that with uh the mandalorian and and that's why i love about it like they don't waste a lot of time even if there's dialogue like the dialogue is really important or yes it it is comedic effect because you got to have something you know to really let the audience feel emotionally attached to these characters um which i think is great i i love the way they kicked it off 
I'm interested to see. We'll talk more about that in a few episodes from now, like where they go with a lot of the different spinoffs and how they relate. Because another thing I loved about this series, just like you said, they really found a way to engage with not just the new millennials, but grab all the old Star Wars fans like you and I from the past. And that's really hard to do. Like, we were talking so much shit last two years ago on Rise of Skywalker because I don't know why the director, like, was pulling all this shit out of his ass to do that. Like, Palpatine just came fucking out of nowhere and rose from the sand. Like, what the fuck was that? But, like, that was their way of trying to grab the old audience, but it didn't make sense. But even here, and one thing I did want to mention, too, that we forgot to mention that was for episode one, kind of an Easter egg to throw in towards the whole Star Wars episode one Phantom Menace was the Marshal. His land speeder was Anakin's like a piece of Anakin's pod, which was really cool. I don't know if you caught that or not, but that's what I loved about it. So I, uh, you know, I, I was really impressed because a lot of times season twos are just like cash drops, and uh, yeah, it, it kicked it off on a on a really high note. What about you, man? Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said. You know, I I found it amazing that they were able to bring in a lot of old creatures and species and stuff that we saw from the original Star Wars trilogy, and kind of bring them back in and and modernized how they looked but still kept the nostalgia of what it was supposed to be. You know, even Gore Koresh, the, the species that he was, like the, the green-eyed guy with one eye in the very beginning, there was, we saw that yeah. in the original trilogy. So, very much like you said, they did a fantastic job of drawing in all audiences, like the original Star Wars fan base and new viewers, right? Millennials and Gen Z together. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was pretty great, man. It's, I think that we get to see more in this series i would say the season of the series how he's able to utilize his weapons what the armor is able to do and and i thought i think this is going to play a big role going forward is just this beskar deal man like everyone wants to kill him for his beskar armor you know and and, uh, the one thing i hope that doesn't happen is i hope that that tail doesn't get stale of every time he tries to go somewhere people try to kill him just for the best armor because eventually like that's going to get old i hope you know that the storyline never kind of overplays itself there uh so i don't know man i enjoyed i enjoyed the the first three episodes of the season because even when we're talking about episode two was definitely more of a filler episode but we still got to see a lot of cool action we got to see something brand new those those, like ice spiders that i was talking about you know we got to see what they are able to do and and like how creepy they looked and it kind of gave me a game of thrones type vibe from you know beyond the wall like things that you would find beyond the wall there so i thought that was really really cool to kind of put into everything there and on top of that we get to kind of see their the new republic uh, making their entrance as well too, right? So it's not just the bad guys like the Imperial Empire or the, the what's left of you know the Empire and, and the bad guys, but we're starting to see you know the New Republic make their appearance with the two ships that were tried to kind of box Mando in in Episode Two as well. And he even makes uh, you know I won't want to give anything away for next week, but you know that captain makes another appearance here uh, pretty soon. And you know what they want to do, they're just trying to bring peace to everything. And, and what people need to understand is that there are what's called core planets in this universe and that's called the outer rim and right now we're in the outer rim and we talked about the outer rim a little bit last year when we brought up mandalorian for season one but 
I think that's something that people need to keep in mind that this these are not the uh, core uh, planets that we are into and because of that there's a lot of things that go on out here that are unchecked and because they're unchecked it's gonna be very interesting to see the role they play into you know if you guys remember where this timeline fits in this fits in kind of you know not right after but it fits in after the Empire fell but before the new trilogy came out and so in the new trilogy there's still that first order right and so I'm thinking we're starting right. to see a buildup of what is eventually going to become the first order and so I think that's uh, you know that's where I see you know where this couple episodes you know heading in that direction is that we're starting to see you know these there's a lot of stuff going on out here in the outer rim and they're gonna it's gonna play a big role later on so that being said man I think that we should get into our debates. Do you want Let's to start start out with yours first? Or do you want me to start with mine first? We can start out with mine. I'm going to play this little uh, devil card here. The worst worst card we've ever fucking come up with on the show. But if we come up with a card, we stick with it forever. I summon the tipsy gypsy card on Jane Ellie himself. And then I'm going to play my great debate card with a nice little combo one-two punch, baby. Sacrifice that and shove it. <laughs> Fuck yeah, how's that for a lightsaber duo, baby? Hey, man. Fuck that was, yeah. That, uh, one-two punch, we haven't seen that before, so uh, I'll give that to you, man. You got I'm going to see if you guys can hear it. Again, I like to pour the wine into the mason jar so you can hear it in the microphone. As Chase can oh, attest, man. this is a full mason jar of wine. It's some Sauvignon Blanc. I gotta, I gotta take this bad boy down. He's trying to throw me off for these debates. I see what he's doing. I see what he's <laughs> oh, doing. Man. So. Oh yeah. Uh, well, man, you're, since, maybe one of these days too. I'll come up. I'll throw all three of them. So I'll have like a debate from like something we talked about way in the past to see if you can even remember it. Then <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like an all three combo. One of these days, man. I'm gonna get you good. Maybe that'll be like Lord of the Rings or something. And then I'll bring some random shit up. I'll be like, let's talk about The Witcher. Let's see if you remember that shit. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Let's go, awesome. baby. Let's go. Well, Cheers, you brother. guys know there's no time like the present. I've got my full mason jar glass of wine here. Chase, give me the countdown. I got to take this down. Then we'll get into our debates and, and wrap up here. Let's do it. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Slay fest, baby. Slay fest. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And he took it to the head. Yeah. I <laughs> yeah. sure did take it to the head. That's gonna. I'm gonna feel that in a second. Shit. That was one of those Anakin moments. It was, Woo! you can try to underestimate my power. <laughs> Yo, no lie. Yeah. That gave me goosebumps. Like, drinking all that, like, that quickly gave me juice, goosebumps. So, uh, yeah, man, throw that, throw that debate out there. Let's get into these bad boys. Let's do it, man. Okay, so here's my debate, and it's a little bit of, like, a two-parter. So this is going to be the tough part. You're going to have to actually think a little bit, right? Um, and we're not going to go into, you know, what goes after the season and all that stuff. But it has been advertised. Everyone knows they're making a spinoff Obi-Wan series. And this ties in because we're talking about this old stuff, right? Because we're trying to bring in the new 
new Gen Z, new millennials, but we're also bringing in the old Star Wars fans like ourselves and our parents and stuff. Bro, you before, feel like, cause before it, you start, you realize that you and I are millennials, right? Like, we were born in the millennial time. Are we, though? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I guess we, we are. We, we are millennials. <laughs> yeah, we are millennials. Okay, so Gen Z is after us. Yes. So we're millennials because yes. we were born in the 90s. Yes. <laughs> so Gen Z, anyways, fuck it. Okay, I'm going to take a little shot of coffee because I'll be able to hold my end a little bit better because you're going to feel a little loopy. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be feeling the force on this one. May the force be with you, my friend. However... So, one thing I want to know, in your opinion, disagree or agree, do you think they're going to tie in The Mandalorian to the Obi-Wan series at all? Because keep in mind, and of course we do know, this is you know an entirely different series, so it isn't giving anything away for Mandalorian or anything, it's just all hypothetical. So, it is true, Hayden Christensen has signed on for it. And he is playing Darth Vader. Ewan McGregor is playing Obi-Wan. But supposed to be taking place in this time period. Don't bring up anything that might give up anything. Give anything away. But based on what we've seen with references to old Star Wars films. And how this has really taken the Star Wars fan base by storm right now. Because let's be real. It was not Rise of Skywalker like they thought it was. This thing came out of nowhere. Took Disney Plus by storm. Now Disney Plus is crushing it. Do you think we're ever going to see any cameos? We're ever going to see anything about the adversity of the Mandalorians versus the Jedi? Any references at all in anything like that that's going to come into speaking about conflicts with the Jedi in regards to either Obi-Wan or Anakin, any of that, either in this series or that series. Go. So, uh, talking about this specific series, The Mandalorian, I don't think so. We might have some quote-unquote flashbacks because remember like the time period of where this took place is after the Empire fell, talking about The Mandalorian, right? And this Obi-Wan series, especially with like Anakin as Darth Vader reprising his role, that's before the Empire fell, right? That's the start of the initiation of the Empire. So what I would say, where I think it could come into play, and it's tough, I don't, it's tough because I don't want to give us give away what we're going to talk about next week, but I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. I think we may get some more backstory on what happened to the child, maybe, in... in yeah, I'm not so much sure about the Mandalorian, but definitely in the Obi Wan series, I think we might find out. Because um, remember, guys, the child is 50 years old, five zero, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's there's a lot of time there that the Empire was still around. That because Ewan McGregor and Anakin and I'd say Obi Wan and Anakin because I can't remember the name. Hayden. What's his last name? Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen <laughs> and Ewan McGregor, they, they play the roles that they basically had already in the prequels, right? The We're talking right. about The Phantom Menace, yeah. The Clone Wars, and Revenge of the Sith. So we're kind of taking... That almost inclines me to believe that the Obi-Wan series is going to be in between where they that happens and the original... The you know New Hope 
Empire Strikes mm-hmm. Back and Return of the Jedi. Like I'm thinking it's going to be somewhere in between like the prequels and the original trilogy where this Obi-Wan series takes place. And so because of that, maybe the child's old enough to have some port- some sort of role because we'll find out something next week. That's why I don't, I'm trying to be gray about that, the gray area about yeah. that yeah. and not give too much away. So I don't think in The Mandalorian itself we're going to kind of have any sort of scenes of Obi-Wan or Anakin because they're both gone in terms of like right. they died where the Mandalorian's yeah. time frame has been set. But I do think we're not giving anything away. We're doing our best not but, to, right? But you guys can oh, kind of yeah, see. We're, we're not going to give anything away. But you guys can kind of see where my mindset is wonder, going. Though. Like, there's some going to be some sort of reference or something, right? Because well, I think it's going to be more than a reference. I think we might actually find out about the child's infancy and uh, its background before it came into Mando's custody, or so to speak. So I think in the Obi Wan series the child will play some sort of part. I don't think any of that is going to translate into the Mandalorian other than the child's backstory before Mando found him uh, or took him captive as he was supposed to be like part of the bounty. But that is my thoughts on it. Go ahead and give me yours. Yeah, and I do want to say this as a side note. This isn't as much related, but this is kind of cool because I, I found out this the other day. So remember... A lot, a lot of our fans will remember this because we were talking about Star Wars when we did our Star Wars rankings. Our literally our first episode, it was a two-parter of our first our first episode ever, and I mentioned this very brief. So about two years ago, before COVID and the pandemic and all that was happening, Keanu Reeves was actually in talks to play who is called Craven. And now I actually found out why they were talking about that. Of course, all that got put on hold with everything that went down with Rise of Skywalker and it got some critic reviews and stuff. But the reason why he's playing Craven is I found out, so according to the actual Star Wars lore, that's who started the rivalry between Mandalorians and Jedi. So that's pretty interesting if they ever brought something like that in is why and that kind of tied into it because i think it's very interesting how they're trying to tie in movies with shows now on this whole universe really which is pretty awesome which is great because it keeps us so interested my opinion okay i feel like we have to or we would be fucking robbed (laughs) like i feel like we have to have something man we have to have something or we would be fucking robbed, I feel like. And I feel like as a franchise with how this is going, just I correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just totally taken off guard by this, but I feel like they're developing the Star Wars universe almost like how they're starting to do Marvel in a way. Like you have the Marvel TV shows we'll be talking about later on. But they kind of tie into the films. Like, I wonder... I don't think they're going to make any films for a while, especially ones that are on this timeline. But I feel like at some point, they have to kind of relate to each other. But just like you said, so the child is 50 years old. Yeah, he looks like he's a toddler. But that's because of his species. And I feel like... (laughs) I feel like... There has to be a reference to Yoda at some point. <laughs> and I feel like 
There has to be some sort of reference there. Not giving anything away, and Yoda has passed on, right? Uh, I think everyone also forgets. People keep fucking coming back in that blue shit. Like, remember when they come back as, like, ghosts and shit? So no one's technically really dead in the Star Wars universe if they are Jedi or use the Force. I feel like it's very interesting to see. However, you know, not giving anything away, but I, this... I will say this. This fucking series is like a wild card, man. Like, it throws me, like, through loops every time. Like, right when I think I know where it's going, it goes, like, an entirely different way. But I feel like we would have to know something because we want to... I know they talked about a lot in the Clone Wars, but we want to know more about the different adversity and the level of these creeds and why they relate so much to the Jedi at this point and we still don't know a whole lot about the jedi we find out here you know uh, you know you've heard of ahsoka tano from clone world wars maybe so maybe you know what she is but we finally hear you know to go see ahsoka tano so we're kind of starting to find out a little bit more but i feel like you have to i feel like it would be like a very big disappointment if we didn't have some cameos so flashbacks so something and I feel like this Mandalorian series, it came out of nowhere. And it's really taken the Star Wars, it's held the Star Wars franchise up on its own. Why, in my opinion, maybe you did like Rise of Skywalker and The Last Jedi. <laughs> I felt like they tried to make that, like, carry Star Wars to the next level. And it started fucking tanking, just like that ship on that ice planet. And then, thank the Lord, Mando was the rebels that came and rescued the shit and took it by storm, man, and saved their ass. My fucking boy, Oberon Martell, always saves the fucking day, so I feel like you have to. What What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I gave my opinions on where I think they were going based on the big card play. Like, I think it's going to play more of a factor in the Obi-Wan series than the Mandalorian series itself. But the uh, yeah, I think that the, I think I agree with you in the fact that they are I think they are tying series in in different timelines to catch up and kind of you know have a seamless process into each movie that they put out. I think yeah. that's very very smart, and I think it's going to help them take this as long as they want to go with it. Right? There's so many avenues to go, right? So many things to add based on the 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 gap of years between the prequels, the original trilogy, and the new trilogy. Right, there's so many years in between all of them that there's so many things you can slide on in. So, do you do you think? Okay, kind of. This is just finishing this out here. Do you think they're ever we're ever gonna have another actual Star Wars feature film, or do you think it was smarter, like they're kind of doing now, making making all these things into television series versus how they were before, where everything was supposed to be a feature film? In our lifetime, I believe they are going to make another trilogy, another Star Wars feature film trilogy that's outside of just the series that we see. And I honestly hope they do, because there was a lot of uh, criticism, and a lot of it, you know, we've talked about it here, about the new trilogy that they came out with. So I believe, I don't know if it's going to be five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever it takes, but... 
I think in our lifetime, in our generation, we will see one more Star Wars trilogy um, on a feature film. That's what I think. Yeah, I, I, I gotta, I agree with you. I think there's too much. No one wants to go out on an iffy note. I think that's why Game of Thrones decided to make a comeback. <laughs> I think that's exactly why. But um, nobody wants to go, especially something like Star Wars. It, even honestly, like Star Wars is really. I mean, of course, we even have Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, that sort of thing. But Star Wars was really kind of the first sci-fi fantasy franchise to really make its mark as an icon i would say and and i would have to agree with you i would even say like now as big as mandalorian is which we've seen in the prequels you know Django is there and and bubba fett was in the originals but you really didn't see any of that in the new trilogy and i think that's kind of a mistake they made like if they had some sort of references to the Mandalorian or something, it probably would have taken off. But yeah, and with that, I'll send the great debate and the tipsy gypsy card to the Shadow Realm. It's Jay Nelly's round on me now, man. <laughs> Let's do this thing. That's great because I'm going to play the great debate card myself. I've got two debates. One, I'm I've I have to kind of give you credit for because you made me think of it on the fly. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, you know, it's only been two seasons of The Mandalorian. And we have three full feature films of the new trilogy, right? From The Force Awakens right. to The Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker. Do you believe. Okay, shit, shit. <laughs> That's the way I rank those. Okay absolute trash garbage uh still pretty much shit (laughs) oh i thought i had shit on my screen and i wipe it off to the return of the jedi my question (laughs) listen my question is this do you believe the mandalorian in two seasons has already eclipsed the new trilogy in terms of ratings in terms of how well they've done in terms of like the action they put into it the development of the characters like do you believe in two seasons the mandalorian has already surpassed the new trilogy uh just so i'm clear before i answer this are we talking about fan perspective or are we talking about box office numbers i'm talking about your opinion as a viewer as a fan of star wars do you believe the mandalorian in two seasons is already better than the new trilogy they put out between 2015 and last year absolutely (laughs) i believe that in season fucking one (laughs) absolutely absolutely like here's my problem here's the here's what's great about the mandalorian too so i feel like for a great star wars film agree with me or disagree with me whatever leave it in the fucking comments uh (laughs) you know leave it in the comments send us a message on instagram like you guys always do whatever Leave us an email, put it on TikTok. Here's what I would say you need for a great Star Wars film. You need that great epic tale, but also you need connection to the characters. And you got to have a sense of mystery behind it. Like, I feel like here's what they went through, right? Especially for the first one. The first one I thought was okay. Because I thought it had a lot to build on. Because one, it did have that sense of mystery. Because you were trying to find out a lot about Rey and her potential, 
Also, she kind of had this relationship with Finn going on. You were trying to see where that was going. And you wanted to know a lot about Kylo Ren, um, which winds up becoming Ben Kenobi, we've talked about on the show. And you wanted to see like how that was developed. And I thought they did well with connecting to the old ones, just like they did with the Mandalorian here with Harrison Ford as Han Solo dying. And that was the big tragic event. So you set it up really well. Here's where they fucking fell apart. So you go into The Last Jedi, and the big, like, bad guy here with the sense of mystery is Snoke. You kill him off out of nowhere with just some random lightsaber that he's holding captive. There goes your sense of mystery. No fucking sense of mystery anymore. I don't know who the fuck that guy was, but no one cares because he's already cut in fucking half. Now, you had this sense of mystery already in the sense of an epic tale with revenge building against Kylo Ren. And now they're teaming up in this, like, fucking room? There goes your epic tale. No one gives a shit anymore. So now, and you had this epic tale where you were trying to go find the legendary Luke Skywalker. You find him, and he doesn't even give a shit anymore. Your epic's gone. No one gives a fuck. Go to, like, the third Damon Wall here. So, ending the resolution, it was so fucking bad that you had to go get J.J. Abrams off of doing whatever the fuck he was doing just to finish up half this movie to try to save it. So, he goes and tries to make a reference to the old movies because you don't have a bad guy anymore because you fucked that up and we're just so hoping, hoping, you know... Jedi, take the wheel. Give me one more chance. No, you fucking pull Palpatine out of your ass like a zombie, like from the Thriller music video with Michael fucking Jackson. And he's sitting in the chair and all of a sudden he's the bad guy again. Yeah, you get the cool CGI and all that shit with the Jedi sabers and stuff. But there was no sense of emotional attachment at all. And the epic made no fucking sense. So they were just trying to save it at that point. Here's what the Mandalorian's done amazing. Even in season one, (laughs) think of this. From this point, we really haven't even seen a fucking lightsaber. Like, from this point. And we've cared about it so much, not just from the sense of mystery, but because we've had the sense of emotional attachment with the amazing epic tale of trying to find this journey of where the child is from. And that's the whole idea is you want that fantasy epic sci-fi adventure and you're trying to guess along and you're also building emotion to these characters i didn't find any fucking attachment to ray maybe a little bit of kylo ren at first just because i thought his like red fucking lightsaber was cool but i thought he'd use it more like a samurai that didn't work out well but i had no fucking emotion ray could die off along with kylo ren The only person I ever had emotional attachment to was Han fucking Solo. And that's because I followed him for my entire life through three fucking major films. (laughs) We're not going to consider the Solo movie, even though Emilia Clarke's in it. And we know she's the queen. But it was that bad. (laughs) But just throwing that there, we're not even going to talk about that one. But I followed him for three films. He's the only emotional attachment I've had. The whole point of Star Wars is what do people think of when you say Star Wars? immediately think of fucking jedi and sith lords right lightsabers lightsabers now you have flipped the switch no longer are we thinking of jedi and lightsabers we're thinking of the entire fucking universe 
because we're caring about something that doesn't even use lightsabers because it has that sense of mystery where we're trying to find out background and it's got even more in depth where we're trying to find about creeds and where this guy is from and his entire government that's basically set apart from Jedi, which isn't even related to what we usually think about. And that's what's so great about it. It's a classic effect where this is not Michael Bay syndrome, which is why it's great. And fucking the trilogy they just came out with was Michael Bay syndrome. So from a fan perspective, this won way back in season one. <laughs> this is this is what saved Star Wars ass. If it wasn't for fucking Mandalorian, my hero over in fucking Martell, and the entire Mandalorian franchise, Star Wars would be sitting on its ass right now, wondering what the fuck the next plan is, because no one wants to pay money to the theater to see what we just fucking saw. I wouldn't even pay Voodoo $5 to rewatch that shit again. The only reason I watch it again is because it's on Disney+, and I've already paid for it for the year. <laughs> That's the only fucking reason I'm watching that. Otherwise, if I gotta pay for it again, I would much rather pay money to go watch one of the originals or the Mandalorian TV show on the fucking big screen. And that's why I'd say about that, man. What about you, brother? Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of the thoughts I had about it. I also believe that in two seasons, The Mandalorian has eclipsed the new trilogy. You know? <clears throat> there's, yeah. there's a plot. There, <laughs> not, it's not something <laughs> that uh, is in question. It, there, I don't want to... I want to talk about realism, right? Because it's still sci-fi, it's still fantasy, but like it's more believable than some of the things that we saw in the new trilogy talking about how Ray with no <laughs> training how was able to fight Kylo Ren to a draw like Kylo Ren has been trained we know who he's been trained by I don't want to give anything away especially because we're here but like Kylo Ren has been trained by some amazing people very skilled in the saber and all of a sudden this girl in A Force Awakens is able to fight him to a draw that doesn't make I've never seen even Luke Skywalker jump over a fucking TIE fighter ship. <laughs> just throwing that out there. <laughs> it's just, it's just so it. much, right? Like, like it, they, they, they tried too much to blow our minds with w the abilities of people to really make a storyline that we connect with and attach with. And that is what Mandalorian has done between season one and season two. Like, I remember in season one, the child had taken the world by storm. Everyone was so excited. Yeah. Like, like, baby Yoda, what the hell is this? Anything so cute. Like, what's it going to do? And they <laughs> did a great job of hiding its powers long enough, but giving little tastes and little samples of what it could do. And I think that the biggest flaw of the new trilogy that it had was that they tried to do this thing where they had a director for the first one a different director for the second one and then go back to the original director for the third one like and because of that they I think for like half they, of it <laughs> i feel like they were trying to outdo each other and try to mess it, and try to fix each other's mistakes and tie things up and because of that like like if you're gonna do that have one person have one director have one mastermind behind it all put it all together themselves if you split it up like you did you're gonna get shit like, like what we got of people trying to fix other ones mistakes but not giving us what we wanted as a fan base and in, in the, the end all be all so 
to answer my own question there for my first debate, yeah, I think the Mandalorian in one and two seasons have absolutely eclipsed the new trilogy in terms of reception from the fan base, in terms of plot line, and in terms of interest in total. So that is how I kind of view where we're at right now with the Mandalorian versus the the last feature films that we got. And so that that kind of kills my first debate, right? And that was one that kind of jumped off the top of my head because of what you were saying before. Yeah. I do have one second debate because we were talking about in episodes one through three, especially episode three specifically, when we were introduced to the new Mandalorians and we heard about the children of the watch and the uh, mainstream Mandalore society, right? So this is kind of where this next debate comes into play. So my question to you for debate number two is this. Do you think the children of the watch who want to reestablish the ancient way and the mainstream Mandalore society who are less traditional will work together to bring Mandalore back to prominence? Or do you think they will fight against each other because of different ideals and beliefs and never regain the power and respect they once had? Man, that's a tough one because I think that's a two-part answer for me. I think eventually they will work together based on what we've seen with Bo-Katan just on this one episode, how Mando was able to at least follow her orders for information. Uh, I won't say follow her orders, but work with her. Whereas respect them, I will always, I feel like the ancient way, like Mando himself, I don't feel like he will ever respect them because of uh, the way they believe because the tradition of the Mandalore is to is just that ancient way to never take off your helmet and I feel like the minute they take off their helmet like they don't even see them as Mandalore like they're basically just people that wear armor at that point to them that follow their own clan that work with this team that's the difference between what you would say like a, a say let's even bring in a Game of Thrones reference like say you know a girl has no name in the house of uh, uh, black and white uh, versus you know someone that's just a regular assassin like there's uh, there's two different levels there because once you break that code he believed like he would basically be disowned from the Mandalorian creed so I I just feel like he would never respect them we would have to see something way along down the road because this has been keep in mind this has been a deal since Django Fett and the Clone Wars I mean though a lot of the creeds came even from remember Django and all those clones well that were brought Django really. was never a Mandalorian though that's the difference like a bounty hunter is different than a Mandalorian but we'll go into that next mm-hmm. more next week than anything but I, I just don't want to confuse anybody there. Like, Jango Fett doesn't have much to do with the Mandalorian society as a whole. He did a favor for them, and because of what he was able to accomplish, was given Mandalorian armor. But in terms of creed and how it pertains to the two different factions of Mandalorians, either the Children of the Watch or the mainstream society, 
it doesn't play much of a factor. Uh, right. Between... Uh, well, what I'm making a point with that is, I mean, they've been going out, going back for a very long time. It's not like they were just established, is my point. Like, this is just like we were making a point on the last debate. You know, this has been basically, what, like 70 years or something since Phantom Menace? How long has it been since Phantom Menace? Like yeah. 70 years? Seven? No, bro. No, I said 70. Oh. <laughs> 70 years. Uh, I don't know in terms of Star Wars length, uh, but I do know in terms of real life. Seven. Uh, <laughs> it's been seven years, bro. <laughs> this yeah, is seven I was so period. confused. I will say that like, like in terms of real life on Earth, where we are today as people, it was released in theaters in 1999, May of 1999. Uh, well, I'm saying, I'm saying, is in Star Wars a, years, yeah, it's been a long time. Lines. Yeah, it's been a minute. But my point is, uh, in uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I mean, similarly though, he did wear <laughs> the armor, very similar to Mando's. But my point is, like these creeds have been going back that long, so I don't see that ever changing. You're not just going to change someone's opinion just because you work together on a level playing field. Do I think they'll wind up working together? Yes. Like, I think there's going to come a time where, just like we've already seen here, like, they wind up working together, but does he see them on the same level playing field? I don't. I don't think... I think that's part of the reason why, just like he flew off and did his own thing. I don't think he'll ever go by their rules and take orders from them to try to help them unless there's something else in it for him is my argument because i don't see the respect there i mean it's kind of like someone that didn't earn their rank um because he believes they should have been dishonorably discharged is what i would say so i I don't see i see down the road them working together for a greater cause where it could based on just what we've seen this episode but i i don't see him ever respecting them what about you yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I this, this is my thought process. My thought process is that our specific Mandalorian, Din Djarin, he was a child of the Watch. The ancient type of Mandalore who believes you, you shouldn't take off your helmet. There are certain rules that you need to follow by, right? But Bo-Katan and her followers, those other Mandalorians, they're more mainstream, more modernized, and I almost kind of see this very similarly to where I see certain factions of religion today where I think the overall belief is somewhat similar but their ways about you know going about everything are a little bit different some you know yeah. factions are a little more traditional some are a little bit more modern and this is very very similar to that my issue is that there's already been a civil war in the Mandalorian society if you guys have followed you know fantasy fiction for a long time and I just my biggest question and the thing I don't know if I even believe this or if I'm just more like I'm hoping it doesn't happen but I believe that there's going to be some sort of rift some sort of dissension some sort of disagreement between when they are trying to bring Mandalore back to its prominence I'm, I think the Children of the Watch and the mainstream Mandalore society, they're going to have arguments amongst each other. They're going to they're, they're gonna have like, these internal battles and, and different ways of believing and thinking. 
and I think that's going to inhibit them. I'm hopeful that you know they. I, I, what I really think is that Din Djarin, like our Mandalorian, your guy Oberyn Martell <laughs> from Game of Thrones, the same actor, right? Uh, I believe that he is going to be the key, right? He is going to be that middle piece that understands the ancient way, but also since working with Bo-Katan and the new age Mandalorians, the new mainstream society, he's going to kind of be able to be the one to bring them all together. At least that's, at least that's my hope. I really hope that, <laughs> anyways, right? I, I really hope that's going to be the case, is that he's able to bring both sides to the table to agree to fight for the greater good. Just because you know, they were destroyed as a society. They are scattered from season one even here to season two. They're looking for other Mandalorians that may still be alive. And I believe yeah. that a lot of the issue has to do with them not agreeing amongst themselves as a collaborative unit, right? Again, the two factions, the Children of the Watch and the mainstream Mandalore society. And I think Din Djarin can maybe be that one key, that one person that can unite them together. And and I think that's going to go more into things that uh, will come up later on. But that that's my thought process anyways. It's just simply like they could fight amongst each other. They could come together. I think it's going to be a little bit of both, right? I think initially they will fight amongst each other and it will not work. And I, I believe in the end-all, be-all of everything that Din Djarin will be the one to be able to bring them together because he's going to have an idea of both sides, right? He grew up as a child of the Watch, but he's been fighting alongside the mainstream Mandalore society. So it's going to be, I think he's going to be the, the key to kind of bringing them all together, especially, you know, bringing up this new, this this dark saber that's going to come up later on in, in episodes that we'll cover in a couple weeks from now. But that is my thought process. Is there anything you want to add to that before we close up for the day? Uh, just a question that I can't answer. I would like to know, like, maybe this isn't the Clone Wars. Maybe I got to go back through my Star Wars lore here and, and do some study. But I would like to know, like, the differences in, like, the training between the ancient way and the mainstream Mandalore. Because I could see that being another piece of diversity there where they feel like almost like they're better than the mainstream society so like that's something i would like to know um you know what do you think what do you think about that uh, i think that's going to play a big role going forward honestly i'm not even sure that's something that could be answered i think that's a great question moving forward is like you know what what are the differences in training like what are the differences in mentality like what, what are these things like like are they are, are they obstacles that can be overcome so where they can come together as a unit or are they so different to where it's going to divide them apart to where Mandalore was destroyed in the first place and they're kind of singularly out on their own because they're not a strong unit together just simply based on different beliefs. So yeah, man, like that's a great question. I, I think that's something that will be answered later on down the road. I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, man. Uh, great episode today, though. That was, that was solid. We're kicking it off here. One of our, uh, back to our uh, classic uh mainstream arcs man it's great stuff i love it me too dude and the crazy part about it is we've we've been away from the mandalorian for so long right i think we started mandalorian season one i think we only did one episode to kind of try to cover everything at a high level back in i don't know was it early february 
or late January of 2020. Regardless, it doesn't matter. The 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 the, end, the, 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 the thing is, is that we've brought it back, and it's such an exciting, uh, unsuspecting. You don't know what's gonna happen with this franchise and this universe that they've built, and yeah. I think that's why. You know, we love to kind of keep bringing it back year after year. It's it's a fantasy fiction fanatic uh, series overall for anyone that enjoys Star Wars anything, and it's just going to become a staple of us here at Factor Fantasy just simply because everyone loves it. Chase loves it. I love it, and it can it can go into so many different directions. We've already seen it can go into the past. It can stay in the present, and it can go into the future too. And there's very few productions that are able to do all three of those things. And that's why I think that you know what we started with today. Obviously, we've only covered the first three episodes, but even in just three episodes, we have all these questions that are relevant for the future. And that's why this is so great as a series. And you know, I'm excited to cover it. I'm excited. For you know that we're gonna put this out this week. I'm very, very excited for next week when some major things come to play. But yeah, man, that's that's all I have to say on it. What about you before we sign off? Yeah, man. No, it's uh, it's just great because I think a lot of people forget this is really what I hate to say it this way, but it's true. This is what saved Star Wars and has kept it running through the future. If we had left off where we were with Rise of Skywalker. I think that would have been, I think eventually probably, you know, it would have came back around, but it could have been another 20 years, just like the last trilogy was. But this was so successful and even what ramped up Disney Plus, like there's people that subscribe just to Disney Plus for The Mandalorian. And uh, it's amazing what they've done with it. And they've really been able to connect with fans on an emotional level for Star Wars and not just loving the epic tale understandment from the different governments with the empires and the rebels and the Jedi being peacekeepers. And it's uh, bringing that whole new uh, audience and viewpoint from it. So I, I think it's great. Um, you know, just shout out to all you guys for all your engagement and following us. Josh, will clear that one up. Thank you guys so much for all the time you've taken with us. Our new Instagram page, if you want to follow, like, subscribe, whatever you want to do, on Instagram and TikTok is the exact same. It's fact underscore or underscore fantasy. And we also have our original Instagram page, at official Ridiculous Patronus. We also have our initial TikTok page, at Ridiculous Patronus. We can find us on Twitter at RP Factor Fantasy, same thing on chat on Snapchat at RP Factor Fantasy. And you can download us guys wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere. So we have a fantastic host site in Podbean. We've been on their feature list since last year. We're still number one on their fiction <laughs> uh, feature yeah, list awesome. this year. So they've been amazing to us. You can follow us there on Podbean. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio. We have links and stuff on YouTube where you can catch the biggest clips of what we do on a weekly basis with our shows as well. Uh, we have like that Facebook uh, fan page. It's Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. 
We've got so many areas where you can follow us. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. So with that being said, guys, we enjoyed bringing you episodes one through three, which would be chapter nine, chapter 10, chapter 11, if you're going by the Mandalorian uh, time period. And with that being said, guys, we're going to sign off today. We'll catch you next week for episodes four, five, and six, which is chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 next week. And with that being said, guys, that's all we've got today. You know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing off. Oh.